Good morning. The Old Testament reading today comes from the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 18, verses 15 through 20. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet, like me from among your own people. You shall heed such a prophet. This is what you requested of the Lord your God at Horeb on the day the assembly when you said, If I hear the voice of the Lord my God any more, or ever again see this great fire, I will die. Then the Lord replied to me, They are right in what they have said. I will raise up from them a prophet, like you from among their own people. I will put my words in the mouth of the prophet, who shall speak to them everything that I command. Anyone who does not heed the words that the prophet shall speak in my name, I myself will hold accountable. But any prophet who speaks in the name of other gods, or who presumes to speak in my name a word that I have not commanded the prophet to speak, that prophet shall die. The word of the Lord. Our gospel reading today comes from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 1, verses 21 to 28. They went to Capernaum, and when the Sabbath came, Jesus entered the synagogue and taught. They were astounded at his teaching, for he taught them as one having authority, not as the scribes. Just then there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit, convulsing him and crying with a loud voice, came out of him. They were all amazed, and they kept on asking one another, What is this? A new teaching with authority. He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. At once... His fame began to spread throughout the surrounding region of Galilee. This, too, is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. O Lord, you alone have ultimate authority, but by your grace, Through these human words, may your holy word be heard. And not only heard, but obeyed as it takes root and blossoms in our hearts and in the world. In your name we pray. Amen. Carrie's brother, Scott, has a friend who in Divinity School had an internship. He was serving at a Connecticut mental health hospital not far from the seminary. Part of his responsibilities, as is often true in these internships, is to lead services, in this case, a Sunday afternoon service for the patients there. The service was not that different from a service like this. There were hymns that people sung. There was a scripture read, a meditation, and there were prayers. 
But as you can imagine, the smaller group of those who attended were not always the most responsive, both because of their illnesses and also because of the medications they were on. But one Sunday, they were particularly unresponsive. Absolutely was no, no one was joining in the singing or prayers. So Campbell, the intern, bravely soldiered on as the person playing the piano played. When it came to singing, he stood up and he sang every verse of the hymn all alone. Finally, as he came to the end of the second and final hymn, Singing All Alone, one of the young men in that little congregation who had been spent the entire service looking down at the floor, looked up, looked at him, and then shouted, you're nuts. <laughs> the story of that chapel service has always reminded me that sometimes ministers and other church leaders who are seeking to do God's work can often look quite foolish to the world. Of course, being human, we can also look foolish without serving God sometimes. But that encounter in that institutional chapel service also reminds us that just because you're battling mental illness doesn't mean you don't notice things or cannot speak the truth, especially the truths that others may not acknowledge out loud. Indeed, Carrie and I have learned a lot during the years working with and around those battling mental illness. Here in Mark 1, we have Jesus' own encounter with a man whom others would say is not in his right mind. We're here at the beginning of Mark's gospel and the beginning of Jesus' public ministry. Jesus is teaching in a synagogue in the town which would become his home base for his public ministry. Not Nazareth, but the bigger town, Capernaum. While Mark doesn't quote Jesus' teachings in any, to any great length like Matthew and Luke does, he does tell us that the people there in the synagogue are astounded at his teaching, for he taught them as one with authority and not as the scribes. Those scribes that Mark refers to at that time were not just copyists or secretaries, they were honored for their function of reading and interpreting the scriptures. They, the scribes were the doctors of the law. They were like modern biblical scholars. The people's astonishment at Jesus' authority and the, is not a put-down of those scribes or of Judaism in general. But the scribes then, much like preachers or biblical scholars now, they necessarily spoke with an authority that was derivative, that is, we and they prayerfully, humbly, and share what we think Jesus means and what God wants. But Jesus, of course, knows what he means and knows what God wants. He speaks with a direct authority from God, unlike any other person. And with Jesus, there is no gap between what he says and what he does. As the saying goes, he not only talks the talk, he walks the walk. Jesus' authority is also proven with power, as we see in this passage, in this encounter with a man with demons or an unclean spirit while Jesus is still in the synagogue. By telling us that his spirit is unclean, Mark is telling us that this man doesn't belong there in the synagogue. He is ritually unclean, and he is in a sacred space, a holy space, the synagogue. But Jesus, notice, he doesn't ask anyone else to expel the man. 
nor does he turn away from him or ignore him and hope that he goes away. Instead, Jesus turns to him. And when the man cries out, what have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Jesus rebukes the man and the demons inside him, Mark tells us. Rebuke, the English word that's translated from the Greek is a special word. Jesus is not like some offended librarian here telling the man to be silent, nor is he like the teacher chastising the talking student or the boss giving a bad performance review to an employee. No, rebuke in the Bible is talking about power. It is the same word used to describe how God defeats the armies of Israel's enemies. Jesus is showing that he is more powerful than the demons possessing this man. And with this command, he is driving those demons out, those, that unclean spirit out of the man. Jesus then has one other thing that may be strange to our ears. Jesus says to the man and to those spirits, be silent. Why, you may wonder. Well, there are perhaps two reasons for Jesus' command. Consistently in Mark's gospel, he doesn't want anyone to make a claim about his divinity until they've seen him, that is Jesus, on the cross. Otherwise, they might misunderstand what it means to say that Jesus is the Son or Holy One of God. Jesus may also be telling us here that evil spirits are not to be trusted even when they do speak the truth. What do we do with this passage now? Someone said, if you don't want to be invited back for dinner, bring up the topic of demons or unclean spirits at your host's dinner table. Talk of demons may make most of modern people nervous, even Bible-reading Christians who read passages such as these. Some of that reluctance to speak of demons is a good thing. We know much more about mental illness now than ancient peoples did. We understand how experiences and brain chemistry can shape things and that therapy or certain kinds of prescriptions really can help bring healing or at least improvement. But demons are not the same as mental illness. We modern Western Christians may struggle with the idea of demons, but there are Christians in other parts of the world who have no problem with talking about demons. A few years ago, a colleague shared about uh, some college students he took on a mission trip to Honduras. At the end of the day, they did a Bible study led by the local priest with members of the village and with translation. As you might imagine, when they talked about a passage that dealt with demons, the college students were pretty skeptical about demons. But one of the women in the village speaking through a translator told them, I've seen plenty of demons. One of them took my husband from me a few years ago. Another keeps infecting our water, which makes me sick. And our government seems to be full of demons because all they want to do is fight. Perhaps she has a point. But here is a view of demons and unclean spirits that can draw together both a modern scientific perspective that perhaps we have and a more traditional perspective that perhaps that woman in the village had. 
Think of demons as this way, as any force that opposes God's will. Rather than bless, they encourage. Rather than bless, they curse. Rather than encourage, they disparage. Rather than promote love, they sow hate. Rather than draw us together, they seek to split us apart. With that in mind, David Lowe's writes, then what happens here in Mark 1 can be boiled down this way. Jesus comes to proclaim and demonstrate the kingdom of God on earth, and he does this by opposing the forces of evil that would rob the children of God of all that God hopes and intends for them. Seen this way, possession is not such a strange thing after all, perhaps. What happens when we really get angry? Think about it. I know for me that I, I lose reason. The things I'm not going to do, I end up doing. The things I'm not going to say, I end up saying. I clench my feet, I, fists, I clench my teeth, my heart race. It does feel in some ways like you are possessed. We can be possessed by jealousy or envy. When that happens, all we can focus on is what others have and what we don't have. No longer are we able to recognize our blessings or be content with what we have. No, we can only count other people's blessings and see what we don't have. Or we can be possessed by workaholism or greed. When that happens, the relationships in our lives may wither or die to be sacrificed in achieving more or having more or rising higher. But then there comes a reckoning when we see how much we've lost in the pursuit of human-made goals that really are empty and unfulfilling. We have seen, sadly, the tenacity of addictions and the destruction they cause. But what about also the tenacity of fear or prejudice and the destruction that such powers cause Mobs erupt and lash out at people who are different. How many more injuries and killings do we have to see from people possessed by racism or by hatred? These demons are real, however we understand them. And however we understand them, what Mark wants us to understand about Jesus is that he has come to oppose them and to drive them out. He comes to confront all those forces that rob us of joy or kill us of compassion or destroy our peace and hope or lead to injustice and oppression of others. And to those forces, Jesus says, get out now. See, Mark 1, this passage, illustrates a part of Jesus that is often overlooked. Mark wants us to know that Jesus is not just a nice guy, not just a good man, not just a wise teacher. He's all that. But more importantly, what Mark wants us to know is that he is more powerful than any force we will face. The demons get it right. He is the Holy One of God. He comes to oppose all the forces that would prevent us and all the world from enjoying the full and abundant life that God wants us to have. So what do we learn here? 
Will we learn to stay away from Jesus if you don't want to change? Stay, if you, stay away from Jesus if you want Jesus just to be a part of your life, a part of a well-balanced life, like taking your vitamins and getting your exercise and sleep and a little bit of Jesus, because that's not what he wants. He wants all of us. Stay away from Jesus if you want him to endorse your choices, your votes, your plans, because he wants more authority in our lives than that. He comes not as a tamed cat. He comes as a lion whom we cannot control. But then again, neither can any demon or power or force opposed to God's will or God's love ultimately. They cannot help but surrender to his power and authority. That surrender may be gradual or may be instant, as it is in this passage, but it will happen. Which means do not stay away from Jesus if you are overwhelmed by life. Do not stay away because you don't think you're good enough, because Jesus is always, as he does with this man in the synagogue, turning to those in need. Turn to him if you're ready to break the hold of other forces on you or your life. Turn to him if you no longer want to be poisoned by greed or jealousy. Turn to him if you want to escape the hold that anger or fear has over your life. Turn to him if you want to be healed and made whole. Turn to him if you want to find the way that leads to the joy and the purpose and the meaning of the abundant life that God wants us to have. For that is what Jesus has come to do. And he does it. Amen. So let us stand and remind ourselves who Jesus is. Let us stand and proclaim our faith as we find it in Colossians 1. Jesus Christ is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. In him all things in heaven and on earth were created, things visible and invisible. All were created through him, all were created for him. He is before all else that is. In him everything continues in being. It is he who is head of the body, the church. He who is the beginning, the firstborn of the dead, so that he may be first in everything. 